0: I Read Comics, show number 35. Well, it's just me again. No co-host, sorry. There will be more co-hosts, coming soon. But tonight, it's just a bunch of little reviews, and then a little longer review. I hope I have everything organized enough here. So first thing is that I wanted to talk a little bit more about Comic-Con. In thinking back on it, one of the things that I noticed when we were there, when Ginger and I were walking around, was that there were a lot of women there. And there were a lot of women on their own. And I saw a lot of moms with their daughters uh, it was really cool. It was really nice to see so many women. And I have to say, I didn't see as many women dressed in the, the stupid revealing costumes this year as I did last year. I saw the Red Sonia girl and I saw a couple others. But it seemed like there were less of them. And, you know, that's a cool thing. A um, lot of goths, as as always. But, yeah, it was really cool seeing a lot of women. And also seeing the women sitting behind the tables, that's always a good thing. So that was very, very cool. Um, I also wanted to mention that uh, I got to watch some really weird Japanese anime while we were trying to cool off and just recover from walking around down on the floor. And the one thing I saw was this thing called Trinity Blood, which completely intrigued me because the vehicle for the main character was a giant flying cathedral. And the main character is a priest, but he's a vampire too. And it's in that Japanese anime way that, you know, like as a non-Japanese person, I probably will never understand the way I'm supposed to. But it fascinated me nonetheless. So if there's anybody out there who knows a lot about Trinity Blood, let me know about it. I did, you know, I, like I Googled it and stuff and I found out that the the series was based on a a novel or a series of novels which obviously I'm not going to read, uh, but I am going to try to get hold of the series on DVD, and it's starting on Cartoon Network, I believe, um, this fall, so I'll have to start taping it when it comes on so I can watch it and review it. So I will be talking about Trinity Blood. Any, any Trinity Blood fans out there, let me know what it's about and clue me into the cool stuff that I'm not going to, to get. I wanted to also mention that I, we saw our friends at the Babe Force booth um, we love those guys a lot. Unfortunately, Dr. Chaos wasn't there this year, but they did give us some new comic books to review, so I will be talking about that. And we did not get to meet up with our good friend Carl Christian, who does the Byron comic that I love so much. Even though he was there, we didn't know where he was. But I just got email from him saying that he was about to send out uh, issue number four of Byron, which I'm totally excited about. So as soon as I get it, I will be reviewing it, and you guys should all rush right out there and buy Byron's one through three, because they're just so very, very, very good. Now, speaking of Comic-Con, I wanted to turn the floor over, so to speak, to uh, some folks that I actually met at Comic-Con, and and I mentioned this a little bit before, that I met Rosa Colon, who um, does the comic Zoe's Blues, and she had done TikTok before, and I like both of those very much. And she was there. She came to the podcasting panel. It was great to meet her. And uh, she wrote some really funny Comic-Con roundups, I guess. And she was kind enough to share them with me. And I asked her if it was okay that I I read a little bit. And I just want to read this because I think it's important that you get some other flavor for how people report on these things and, and kind of that I'm not the only one who talks like this about stuff that happens so I'm just going to excerpt a little bit about it um, and she's talking about uh, the DC panel and there's some stuff about uh, sexism which I'm going to skip over here but this was actually a little more interesting to me because this was about racism um, so let's see there were some stupid things being said, you know, Dan DiDio was on the panel and Greg Rucka was there and Grant Morrison was there and everybody was asking them all these different questions. And you can go read that in lots of other places. Oh, and I'm not going to do a report on the black panel thing. Cause I think that's been thoroughly covered in other places. And I was just as unhappy about those comments as most everybody else was. So, um, at the DC panel, uh, this guy, so Rosa, this is Rosa's words now. I'm just going to read this the way she's written it. And she has a lot of words in caps, so I'll try to, to convey that. Then this other guy stands up and says that he's been a longtime Marvel reader and that he recently turned to DC. He said, this is great, that he was still trying to figure out if DC was a comic company trying to be a frat house or if they were a frat house trying to be a comic company. Awesome. Then he goes on to say that his black friends by Marvel and that he can see why because the panel in front of him is so white. Excellent. So he asks, why is the DC universe so white? Now there's this really huge silence because honestly, the audience is really diverse. In front of me is a biracial gay couple. This is going to be great. So nobody opens their mouth, especially cowardly, stupidly old DiDio. Poor Greg Rucca answered the question in the stupidest way possible. It was so amazingly bad, the answer that he gave. I mean, I started to get agitated and started commenting loudly about how stupid the answer was. Every time I said something, the cool black dude in front of me laughed. We bonded a bit over that really stupid answer. Basically, it boiled down to, we can't make characters black just for the sake of making them black. They have to have a purpose. But you make white characters for the sake of being white without any purpose to it? What the fuck? We have to have a purpose? Like what? I was so angry, it was so obvious all the characters that they think of are white, and we're lucky to get someone like Renee Montoya, the poor token Latin woman of the universe. They trotted her name just to prove they had minority characters, and I kept yelling, that's just one. Then, to cap it all off, Grant Morrison started yelling at the top of his lungs that he wasn't white, he was Scottish, and his people had suffered under English rule. What the fuck? At this point, the biracial gay couple left, and so did we, after we heard the questions from the two girls who came after the really brave guy. So I just love that. I think that's a great piece of reportage, a great piece of journalism to cover that. And I totally do not understand the Grant Morrison comment, you know, like, okay, I understand about Scotland and England and all that, but for Grant Morrison to say he wasn't white? Like, yeah, what the fuck? (laughs) So that was just um, totally crazy, but I love Rose's reporting on that, and I think it is just wonderful, and I'm so glad she wrote that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about one of the other people that I met at Comic-Con, and it's a a woman whose name is Kwan. Now, Kwan, um, she's Thai, and she lives in Los Angeles now. She's beautiful. She's a model, and she has two Yahoo groups. One of them is just called Kwan. And it has something like 18,000 members, which is quite amazing. She also has um, another Yahoo group that's called Pin Up Underline Heaven. And uh, she and I have been corresponding a little bit, and she was telling me that she's really proud that she has a lot of women who are members of both those groups. And she feels like it's um, a good way to talk, a good place to talk about comics. So when she had originally sent me email um, saying that we should meet up in Comic-Con, she also included... um, these. And I want to read these because again, I think it's important to give voice to other people. She says, I'll tell you two stories that maybe you might be interested in. First, how I got to create my Yahoo group. A long time ago, I joined a Yahoo group called Comic Art List. It is for collecting original comic book artwork. I made one post in the group and the group members attacked me. This is true. They insulted my English. They insulted my country, Thailand, and my religion, which is Buddhism, and my sex. I'm a girl, and they don't believe, and they think they think I'm fake, and then I'm spamming the group. I try to defend myself, and I get more insults. And finally, the group owner bans me from his group. So I got angry, and I do what I always do. I showed them that they were wrong. I make my own group, and now I have 16,000 members. It's actually a little more than that now. 16,000 members more than they do, right, because it's about 18,000. This is why I smile about it, and because I have my own group, I have so many more real friends than if I was just a member of an all-boys club like they have, and most of the owners of this group have apologized to me, and some of the same people who have insulted me have tried to flirt with me in emails and set up dates. Men are very funny. (laughs) I love that comment. So I thought that was a great little story, and then she also posted, she says, Story number two, I started posting in another forum, and guess what happened? The same thing, not with the owners, but with some of the members. Comic book guys really fear fear girls. I was a fake, a porno star, and many other insults that some of the men said, trying to guess who I really was. I couldn't like comic books because I was a girl. So sad. And I agree with her, and I think that her treatment... Um, was not unusual. And um, they picked on her for all of the really obvious things that, you know, she's a a beautiful woman. She happens to be Asian. Her English is not great because it's a second language that she had to learn as an adult. And, you know, I'd like to see anybody learn Thai as an adult and speak it with (laughs) any really great level of fluency in a short amount of time. So, um, I got to meet her and she was really, really nice and I like her two groups and, uh, I'm glad that we've become friends through this because, um, she's another girl who likes comics and she's not afraid to talk about it and damn, she went out and did the thing that everybody's always saying. She went out and started her own group so she could talk about it. So more power to her. Now, what else is on the list? Um... I will, let me, let me see. I have a bunch of blogs that I want to talk about, but I guess I'll mention one other thing. Um, one of the other folks that I got to see at Comic Con was Steve McIsaac, who does the wonderful sticky comics and now has a new title, which is Shirtlifter. And we talked to him, we had our interview. Um, he just sent out emails saying that he has a new webcomic. And it's um, called, <coughs> excuse me, it's at um, this place called adultwebcomics.com. And it's a, a new story that he's starting, and the first installment of it is called Pas de Deux. And uh, I will put in the link to where you can get it. And he's going to be posting art from a new story every week. And right now, um, there are just a few panels up. But it's done in, you know, the beautiful style that he has. And there's some color in it, which looks really good. Um, and so, you can subscribe to it. There's an RSS feed, so you can see the new stuff that comes out. But I'm very happy that he's doing a new webcomic. And he's working very hard on the next issue of Shirtlifters, which I cannot wait for. So, while I've been... Um, plowing through the stuff from When Fangirls Attack and uh, Girl Wonder and all the rest of it, I've been introduced to a number of new comic blogs that I really, really like. So I wanted to mention some of them because I just think they're great. They're funny. Um, They're the way blogs about comics, for the most part, really should be when they're trying to be funny. Um, The first one is called Chris's Invincible Superblog, and it's by a guy named Chris Sims who I'd never heard of before. And it's very much in the style of Dave's Longbox. So even though he does um, almost a a weekly roundup of the comics that he's bought, he also looks in-depth at some of his favorite titles. And I think one of the reasons I like his blog so much is that he also looks at uh, the Silver Age stuff that I just am in love with um, because it's so totally wacky and off the wall. And in fact, he did a really great breakdown of um, one of my favorite Legion stories and did a lot of scans from it. So I was really pleased to see that. Um, I will just read just a little bit of what he's, he says. Um, this was a story in which Brainiac 5 creates um, these supercomputers that immediately go berserk and start taking over everything. And he has to figure out a way to keep them from blowing everything and everyone's up. Um, and at one point, as part of a diversionary tactic, his little pet, pro 2 who's a blob, a blob of Play-Doh that's sentient and can turn itself into things like Chameleon Boy, um, masquerades as somebody called the weirdo legionnaire and like I said it's a diversion to help the legionnaires actually beat the killer computers but it's totally wacky so um Chris's commentary says, As it turns out, it's just pro 2 creating a diversion while Colossal Boy pretends to go crazy and freeze a few of Computo's captives in the one-man war alluded to on the cover that lasts a grand total of three panels. But sweet Christmas, a three-headed, four-armed, tentacle-waving, bare-chested, fin-legged, buck-toothed mon- monstrosity that still has to use a nuclear-powered handgun might just be the best diversionary tactic in the history of comics. Once they've got the whole team back together, the Legionnaires retreat to a place where they assume even Computo won't be able to find them, instructing Superboy to tunnel underneath a futuristic Gotham City, where the Legion of Superheroes hides out in the Batcave. And that is awesome. And he's totally right. It's awesome. So... I just love uh, Invincible Superblog. He posts something new almost every day, and he looks at some wonderful Silver Age comics. He did a whole thing on a series of Metal Men comics, and I love Metal Men comics because they're so weird. And I was so happy to see him writing about it. So that was great. So go Invincible Superblog. <clears throat> Let's see. The next one is a blog that's called Gorilla Days, and Gorilla Days is by a guy named uh, Alan Harvey. And he's just been looking at a whole bunch of different things. It says he covers the wacky world of comics, past, present, and future. I think um, the reason I started looking at it was he had done a few things that were linked from when fangirls attacked. He's a big Kirby fan, which is great. You know, can't go wrong there. Uh, but he also looks at, at weird things from uh, the 60s and 70s. He covers some of the Silver Age stuff. And he's also located in England, so he has uh, sort of a, a slightly different take on them. Um Let's see. There was one thing in particular that I liked in this, uh, most recent one. He covered, a um, a Lois Lane comic book, Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 29. And he says, presenting, ladies and gentlemen, perhaps the finest cover of all time. And it's a cover that shows Lois kissing intern, Green Arrow, Aquaman, and Batman. Um, and there's a poster of Superman on the wall. Obviously he doesn't care. And so Alan says, uh, Really, what more needs to be said about this little masterpiece? Just fabulous. You know, only yesterday over on Colleen Doran's blog, we were commenting on Devin Grayson's new novel, where it's clear that Bruce, Arthur, and Ollie all love Dick Grayson, that is. And here we see the image that puts the lie to that scurrilous rumor as the very same Batman, Aquaman, and Green Arrow line up for smoochies with our Lois. Meanwhile, a blonde Lana Lang looks on in jealous fury. The sublime Kurt Swan drew it, folks, and I love it stuff like that just can't be beat. So I like his commentary. He looks at some really interesting things. um, So I can definitely recommend Guerrilla Days. Now we have uh, a Legion blog, which again, I found from when fangirls attack because uh, the author of this blog, which is called Legion Abstract, and the guy who writes it is named Matthew, had done a great post about how the Legion was a good place for girl superheroes in the Silver Age. And I totally agree with that, and he did a great analysis of it. Um, he has focused more on the Legion of recent times and not so much on Silver Age. He says he just doesn't dig the Silver Age as much as other stuff. But, you know, anybody who's all about the Legion is totally fine with me. And he's got quite a few posts here, so. I am quite quite happy with the Legion abstract, and uh, I am looking forward to the more thing more things that he has to say. Uh, one of the things he, I like about it is that he takes the Legion really seriously, and he talks about um, some of the underlying contextual um, setups that the Legion was placed in. Um, and he in this I'm looking at a recent post, and he's talking about. Uh, something that was he felt was missing from the Legion of the Superheroes for a while, and he thinks um, this is really important. Um, he was putting forth, and I totally agree with him about this, that for a long time, I'll read what he says, the previous versions of the Legion were the last line of defense. Whether it's realistic or not that they should have been in that position, it's indisputable that they were, and they... Proved that they deserved it. So, you know, who is going to entrust the safety of the universe to a bunch of teenagers? Well, they did, and that's what the Legion was for. They were respected just as much as any superheroes ever were, and people trusted them. And he feels like that's kind of missing now in the new setup for the Legion, that they're having to prove themselves all over again, and um, they're not automatically respected just because they're Legionnaires. And I agree with that assessment. It's going to be really interesting to see um, how that plays out. So go Legion Abstract. Boy, I'm just recommending stuff left, right, and center. Um, another one, and I'm not sure where this was linked from, but it's another very, very funny blog in the spirit of Dave's Longbox. Um, it's called Ye Old Comic Book Blog, and it's done by a number of guys, Jake, Chris, Robert, Chris G., and Teacher Dave. And um, they often scan panels and have some great commentary. They're a little more... Um, Golden Age sliding over into Silver Age, but there's enough Silver Age nonsense in here to make me extremely happy. Um, As an example, they have put in uh, a cover for uh, another Lois Lane comic, Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane. Um, And so the commentary here is, Today, I noticed for the first time that the title of this comic isn't Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane, but rather Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane, which is a playground semantic we all remember from the second grade. Superman has a girlfriend. Superman has a girlfriend. No, no, I mean, she's my friend, and she's a girl. So if she calls herself my girlfriend, what it means is that she's my girl friend. And I agree with that. I I guess I hadn't really noticed that it was girl and friend as two different words. So continuing the discussion of uh, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 60, uh, the commentary goes on. We reached the cover story where Lois Lane and Lana Lang seal themselves in cryogenic chambers to sleep for 5,000 years so that Superman will feel bad about being mean to them until he dies long before they emerge from the chambers. The cover blurb states that the tables are turned, but I don't think that metaphor really works. When did Superman go into hibernation for five millennia because Lana was PMSing? Supposedly, it's because Superman is going to suffer the way they have suffered. But again, when did Lois have two women who regularly mucked up her life with their second grade antics to trick her into kissing them lock themselves into an experimental deep sleep chamber only to emerge long after she is dead? And I think that's a really good assessment. Um, And it's a good assessment of the way those characters were treated in there because that happened like in every freaking story in Superman's girl friend Lois Lane is that she was trying to trick him into kissing her or doing some other stupid shit and such a change from the way she was in the original Superman comics when she was a real go-getter kind of hard-hitting reporter and uh, yeah really just not good those those women's always scheming and uh, (laughs) so I thought that was really funny and the comments there are really pretty amusing as well Let's see. What else do I have to recommend? Oh, um, let's go to a slightly different uh, theme. There's a guy, and his name is Henry Jenkins, and he is an academic, and I knew him from uh, Star Trek fandom because he wrote a book called Textual Poachers, which was about fandom and fan fiction and Um, When I was first starting to get into Star Trek fandom, uh, I had heard that he and a couple other people had written books about it and had interviewed some of the people that I knew personally from Star Trek fandom. So I read his book, and it was really interesting, Um, and it highlighted a lot of the the interesting aspects of fandom as um, communities and communities that have their own rules and regulations, and I think he drew some interesting comparisons between fandom pre-internet and fandom as it has become on the internet, and they're two very different worlds. Uh, so he's a really interesting guy, and he has a blog um, in which he talks a lot about fandom and his take on how fandom constructs its own versions of the shows. Uh, it's a little heavy on the academic ease, but not so much that you can't understand it. It's probably 180 degrees from places like Dave's Longbox and the old comic book blog. But I find it really thought-provoking and He examines a lot of underlying issues and does a really good job of placing it into the context of other social theories. And he talks a lot about, you know, feminism and and, um, uh, uh, PC-ness and things like that. Uh, He covers an awful lot of ground and his his posts are really long. Uh, And I really enjoy reading what he has to say. So if you want to broaden your mind a little bit and read some really interesting, cool academic stuff, go and read what Henry Jenkins has to say. So I've covered most of those. Um, I think those are all the blogs that I want to do. And now, um, in an amazing display of personal shilling, I'm going to tell you that, um, you know, when I'm not podcasting and and working really, really hard at my job, I do a lot of writing and I was very pleased that one of my stories was published in a book and that book is now available and it's a smutty story. It's a het story. So don't, you know, you can stop being scared that it's gay porn because it's not gay porn. Um, and it's called Nona Take Five. And the book that it's in is called Dying for It, it's, uh, Stories of Sex and Death. And uh, it's available on Amazon. I'm going to put in a link for it. I haven't read all of the other stories in there, but I know that the authors of those stories are excellent writers, and it's very, very high-quality porn, high-quality smut. And I have to say that the story that's in there is one of my favorite stories that I've written, and I really like the main character. I I really enjoyed writing her and having her speak through me, and she's a character who's definitely going to pop up in some other things. So I was just so pleased that I got something published in a real book that's available through Amazon. This isn't like a self-published thing. It's an actual book. From an actual publisher. So go me. And one more thing before I take my musical break, which is to say that uh, the Women Comics Podcaster Grant is available for those women out there who would like to do their own comics podcast in association with the Lincoln Heights Literary Society. We're giving away some web space for you to host your podcast and also advice from me on some of the technical aspects of it. So, um, This is running through uh, October, I believe, so there's plenty of time to get in a little sample. Contact me for more information if you want to know about it. I will put up the link to where all the the rules are, but we would love to see more women doing podcasts. Now, I will say there is another podcast about comic books um, by some women, and they're calling it Birds of Geek. And I've listened to a couple episodes, and it's pretty good so far. I really hope they continue it. It's done by um, two women who are doing it transatlantically, one in England and one in New York. And they've done it on Skype, and so far it's it's been pretty good. And I like what they have to say. So I'm hoping that they continue this podcast and that there will be at least two podcasts by women about comics. And I will put up the link for Birds of Geek so you can all go and have a listen. I thought that their review of Superman Returns was especially good. Um, And it's likely that I'll be doing a guest shot on their show at some point as well. So please go and listen to Birds of Geek. You will not regret it. Let's see. I think I checked off everything else on the list. I actually did sat down, made a list of all the things that I needed to talk about on this show. So let's take a musical break and we're going to come back and talk about one of um, my favorite Legion stories. Legion. I love the Legion, and I'm so happy because now I have a lot of these archives that DC put out, and I'm reading them, and I'm enjoying them, and I'm remembering why I love the Legion so much. I love the Silver Age Legion, I haven't really started to read past that yet, but I think I will. Um, I do have the new collections, the Mark Wade stuff, which I haven't really looked at yet, but I will really soon. But I'm just reveling in the Legion stuff of the Silver Age. And part of the reason I love it so much is because it's so goofy. I love the goofiness of it. I love that it's angst-free. I really like the fact that the Legion has these adventures and they go do things and they're not moaning over who's dating who or having lots of personal problems. Sometimes I really like that when the characters are just the characters and you don't get all this angst about their personal lives. So I'm enjoying it for that reason. The other reason I'm really enjoying it, and this is something that I think Matthew had pointed out in his Legion abstract blog is that it was a really good time for the female Legion members. They were there. They were very active. They were always fighting guys and doing good things and they had interesting powers. I think it it was a really interesting way to present a team made up of males and females and having the females doing a lot of the fighting right in there. It's great. Um, And I especially love Saturn Girl. I think I'd mentioned this once before, but you know what? Saturn Girl fucking rules. She's just so good. And there's one story in particular that I think really shows the kind of character she was created to be. And and when she got to be that character, it was just wonderful. And um, I've put up a bunch of scans from this particular story at the blog. So you can go have a look and see what I'm talking about. This story is called... The Face Behind the Lead Mask. And this originally appeared in Adventure Comics number 300, which was September 1962. It also featured another story called The Super Planet of Clark Kent and Lana Lang. And I don't know what that story is, but it has a great title. Uh, This story, The Face Behind the Lead Mask, was written by Jerry Siegel. So already you know it's going to be crazy and wacky in the way that only Siegel could write it. And the art is by uh, John Forte and Al Plastino. So interesting that they both worked on this. And it's very much the classic um, Silver Age 60s Legion story where a totally crazy thing happens. So I will recap the plot, but I really want to highlight the uh, way that Saturn Girl is featured in this plot and how she's really the key to everything that happens. So... It starts off uh, just like every other day in um, the 30th century, and we get to see those wonderful statues of themselves that the Legion has in their little uh, clubhouse, and the very first scene is the Legion getting together. They're all sitting at a table. They're waiting for Saturn Girl to sit down, and she's sitting at the head of the table. There's something about that that just makes me so happy. She's at the head of the whole table. She's in charge. She has a little sign in front of her, as they all do, that says, Saturn Girl, Super Thought Casting. I often wonder if that wouldn't be a good way for us to all introduce ourselves to strangers or even friends that we have. You know, you should sit down at the table and have a little card in front of you that says your name and what your power is. Um, So they sit down and Cosmic Boy says, uh, the meeting is being filmed by a robot cameraman. Uh, But all of a sudden, Cosmic Boy's powers go crazy, and it uh, destroys the cameraman, and Sun Boy says, what the hell are you doing? And then Sun Boy's powers go crazy, and he melts the cameraman, and they're both going, oh no, what's wrong with us? Uh, Sun Boy says, I did it against my will. Then Lightning Lad's powers go berserk, and he's got little lightning bolts coming off his whole body. And he seemingly can't control it. And then Saturn Girl stands up and says, What happened to the three of you? Have you gone mad? I'll look into your minds mentally to see if you're villainous imposters who have substituted yourselves for Legion members. Now, normally you would think that's totally crazy, but it turns out, if you read a lot of the the Silver Age Legion stuff, that happens roughly every other episode, every other story, that somebody is um, an imposter substituting themselves for an actual, actual Legion member. So not so far off the bat. A good idea. But then when she does it, it says, next instant. And the guys will say, ow, your mind probing hurts. My aching brain. (laughs) So Saturn Girl says, I'll turn it off. Like myself, everyone from Saturn can perform amazing mental feats, but only evil Saturnians use this power to harm others. I wouldn't. Now, this is really interesting. The other guys couldn't turn off their own powers when they went berserk. They just had to wait until things calmed down. Saturn Girl says, I'll turn it off. Which sort of implies that maybe she has a little more control over her powers than the guys do. Interesting. In the very next panel, as we see lightning bolts shooting out of Lightning Lad's chest and making big holes in the clubhouse, Saturn Girl says, Something has caused all of us to lose control over our superpowers. Perhaps the greatest super legionnaire of all, Superboy, who lives in the past, can solve this mystery. I'll signal for his help. And the way she signals for his help is by pulling down a huge lever in the wall, which is labeled, pull down to summon Superboy. It's very Python-esque. <laughs> you have to pull a lever. I'm not quite sure what the lever does. Oh yeah, it makes his lamp light up. But yeah, you pull a big lever on the wall that's clearly marked. Pull lever to summon Superboy. But notice, she's the one who thinks it'd be a really good idea to get Superboy to help out with this. Then it cuts to um, present day, more or less, with um, Superboy confronting Lex, teenage Lex, who's getting out of jail. And he says, now that you're being released from prison, Lex, I hope you'll go straight and forget your hatred towards Superboy. And Lex is basically unrepentant and says, I hate Superboy's guts. So, you know, all couples have these friction. And then in the very next scene, Superboy uses, sorry, Clark uses um, his wonderful viewer to look at what's going on with Monel, who's in the Phantom Zone. And, you know, it's okay for him to have two boyfriends. I think that's fine. So he gets the signal. He flies to the 30th century. Uh, Lightning Lad is pretty much destroying the whole freaking clubhouse. And Superboy says, why are you doing this? And he says, I can't help it at all. Sunboy's powers go out of control. He melts an iceberg. He comes back. And they're trying to figure out, like, what is going on here? And then they get a visit from one of the officials who says, if you guys can't control your powers, you got to get out of here. So they have, like, an hour to fix it. Um... So then they get a visit from uh, a bad guy. And Superboy thinks, a masked flying man. And he says, I am earth low. With this power nullifying gadget, I can turn the superhero's powers on or off at will. Ha ha. And he has a lead mask, hence the title of this story, which is why Superboy can't see who he is. So um, he has a little gadget and it makes their powers not work. This isn't really explained, by the way, in the rest of the story, how he's able to nullify their powers. He just has a little, it looks like an iPod and it shuts their powers off. And he has kryptonite vision, which hurts Superboy. So they all uh, put their flight rings on and they whisk Superboy away so that he doesn't die. And uh, Earthlow says, fly away, legionnaires, flee and try desperately to think of some way to combat mighty Earthlow effectively. He even puts his own name in quotes. That's interesting. Suffer like trapped rats because in 15 minutes I'll hunt you down and destroy you. Okay, they have 15 minutes to solve this. As they're flying away, Saturn Girl says, I have a plan. Follow me, everybody. She's got a plan. She's in charge. They land and she says, Ah, this is the spot I was looking for. Quick, Superboy, burrow down into the ground and dig up a chest that the Legion once hid there. And what he brings up is the uh, little... Uh, Wammo air blaster that you, it can get Monel out of the phantom zone and he says I wouldn't get him out of the phantom zone he'll die and Saturn girl says please trust me and do as I say instantly she's in charge she's totally taking charge of this situation so he brings Monel out of the phantom zone and he immediately goes oh it hurts and superboy says well look what you made me do and then lightning lad pipes up Saturn girl knows what she's doing superboy so then Superboy says to Monel, "Please forgive me for materializing you, Monel. I've doomed you." And he chokes. And Saturn Girl says, "Nonsense! <laughs> Quick, Monel, drink this. I love it." Nonsense! I almost like I can hear her going, "Nonsense, you jerk." <laughs> so Monel drinks it, and uh, he's better. And Monel beats up Earthlo, who turns out to be—this is going to surprise you—a robot built by Luther. Get it, Earthlo, Luther. Anyway, that's not important. <laughs> What's really important is that Saturn Girl says, when Superboy says, "Why is Monel okay?" She says, "The answer lies in this bottle, which I'd intended to give you as a surprise gift, knowing how anxious you are to release Monel from the Phantom Zone and cure him of his ailment. I invented Serum XY4, an antidote for poisoning by lead radiations." Let's continue. She has quite a monologue. With my super thought casting power, I was in telepathic contact with Monel while he was in the phantom zone. Mentally, I diagnosed the harm done to his body and figured out what chemical elements would counteract his lead poisoning. Damn! <laughs> that's pretty fucking impressive, don't you think? When I read that over recently, I was like, wow, that's amazing. So first of all, she... Thought it would be a really good idea to get Monel out of the Phantom Zone, because I don't see anybody else doing anything about that. You know, Clark's there watching him and, and mooning over him and going, "Oh, I wish Monel was back." Brainiac Five is not doing anything right now. He's like, you know, inventing killer Computo robots, but Saturn Girl invents a serum that cures him. Now, temporarily, of course, but it still cures him. And she did that by using her super thought casting to Monel while he was in the Phantom Zone. I am very, very impressed with this. This is amazing. And I am surprised that this hasn't been held up as this great example of what Saturn Girl can do when she puts her mind to it. What heroism. I'm, I'm serious about this. This is, like, really great. Of course, you know, she has to say it's temporary, lasting a few minutes. So he's going to have to go back. So then they confront the robot, and it's sent by Lex into the 30th century to beat them up and blah, blah, blah. And then you, you see the thing at the end where they open up, the after the robot conks out, they open it up and it's got um, <laughs> tapes inside of it. Superboy says, the robot with the adult Luther face has died. Great Scott, look at these hate tapes inside his chest compartment. No wonder the automaton loathed us. And the tapes say on their labels, they say, hate Superboy, hate Legion of Superheroes, hate, hate, hate. So then everything's fine. And Monel has to go back. Bye bye. Uh, and then Superboy leaves. Now, here's the thing. In the very last panel of this, Cosmic Boy goes If not for Superboy and Monel, the Legion would have been destroyed by that he- hate maddened robot. No. <laughs> no. If it hadn't been for Saturn Girl, you dick, <laughs> you all would have been dead. Saturn Girl was the one who decided that calling Superboy was a good idea. She's also the one who shut off her own thought-casting powers. She's also the one who invented the serum that brought Monel out of the phantom zone so that he could beat up the robot. No. Thanks to Saturn Girl, the day was saved. I love that story. I'm going to go through another Legion story later on which is called The Stolen Superpowers, which again stars Saturn Girl in in a very aggressive and uh it's a, it's a unique thing that she does in that story. And I remember when I read it for the first time, I was really impressed by it. Because, it, of course, like most of those stories, it, it leads you think something else is happening, and then there's a twist, and then you find out what's really happening. But anyway, Robot, Lead Mask, Saturn Girl, all over the place. She basically owns this story. And she basically owns the Legion in this story. And I am just so damn proud of Saturn Girl in this story. It just makes me feel warm all over. I wish that I could, you know, I have Supergirl underwear. I wish I had Saturn Girl underwear. That would be cool too. Now, before I conclude all this, I have a little tiny bitty rant that I want to get out of the way. And I kind of just want to do it and get it over with. And then I'll, I'll tell you one more thing. Um, so, you know, another month, another fanboy rampage on a forum somewhere over me. It's like every month it just happens. There must be something to that. And it's the fanboys who start it, so I don't know what the moon has to do with it. Um so I just wanted to to clear something up. First of all, some people sort of have the impression that I don't care about what listeners have to say. And that's really not true. I get a lot of email from people who listen to the show, and about 90% of the email is along the lines of I really like your show. I think it's great. Keep doing it. Um a lot of times people will say, oh, you like that comic, maybe you'll like this one too. And they're usually right. And I love that. Or have suggestions and say, maybe you'd like to check out this blog, or maybe you should listen to this other show, or just kind of interesting things that people pass along. And I love that. I think that's wonderful. And I try to write back to as many people as I can. Um, You know, I'm busy, so I can't respond to everybody all the time. But I really, really enjoy getting that. Um, Now, 10% of the email that I get is the kind that's basically saying, you know, you're wrong, you bitch. So I want to just set my belief system here about this kind of stuff. You know, Harlan Ellison said, "Um, it's not true that everybody's entitled to their opinion. What is true is that everybody's entitled to their informed opinion. And I really think that that's an important distinction to make. If you want to engage somebody in a dialogue, you need to be informed about what you're talking about and not just kind of say shit. Um, because if you say shit, especially if you say stupid shit, people kind of think you're stupid. Um, I don't know why, but that's just the way it is. Um, so when I get this kind of email or sometimes when I see this discussion at the forums, people are, you know, saying things about what I think or, or my assumptions, um, they they really want to say how wrong I am about things. And I, they like to say I'm wrong because, um, in their view of the world, there is no sexism. Um, there is no sexism in comics. Uh, straight white guys don't have any privileges in their world. And women are not sexualized in comics more than men are. Those are their assumptions for the way the world works. And I just have to say that I cannot have a dialogue with those people or talk to them um, because they're wrong about all of those things. Really, really wrong. And that's not my opinion. That, those are facts. Um, sexism exists in the world. Sexism exists in comics. Straight white men have privilege And women are sexualized in comics, much more so than men are. There's piles and piles of examples of all of these things everywhere, all the time. And they exist, and it's really not hard to find those examples. It's a fact. Those things are facts. And I can't can't talk to somebody who doesn't believe that those things are true and are facts. So when people write to me or try to engage me on a forum or wherever with, with those assumptions underlying what they have to say, there's nothing I can say back. So I don't say anything at all because I don't like to argue with people like that. Um, to take it just a little bit farther, I will say that um, a very small percentage of the email that I get or things that are said to me um, are more aggressive I guess is the word. I'm trying to find a good way to say this. It. It's not a nice way to say it, but a more accurate way. They're a little bit more aggressive. So if you or someone you know, or somebody writes to me and they want to start shit and they use words like oppressed white men or censorship or feminazi or shrill, any of those words immediately cross over into fuck you territory because that's pretty much all that deserves. And in fact, most of that deserves... Uh, fuck you very much. And that's just the way it is. So that's my little piece on that. And the last thing I want to say is that uh, I'm going on vacation. So I'm going to be gone for a whole week after this is posted. So if you write to me, I will not be able to get back to you until I get back because I'm going to be in the Bahamas and I'm not going to have internet access or even cell phone access. So I hope you all have a wonderful time in the dog days of August while I'm sipping martinis on the beach. And when I come back, I will have many, many more things to talk about I'm going to try and use my vacation time to read a lot of the stuff I picked up at Comic-Con, plus uh, watch some of the things that uh, David Arroyo sent me, and hopefully I'll either be on his show or he'll be on my show so we can talk about it. And I'm just going to close with a song that I just rediscovered this uh, live version of, which I like very much and kind of sums it up right now. Would you like to do another Would you like to do another routine? Good night, now, ladies and gentlemen. Good night, now, ladies a gents. That's enemy show. time to go. Good night, now, ladies and gentlemen. Good night, now, ladies and gist. That's enemy show. Now it's time to go. Would you like to do another? What's your light like, What's your like,